Today we talk about the amazing uterus. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. When was the last time that you checked into a hotel and you didn't leave for nine months? I'm going to assume never. However, that is exactly what happens when you get pregnant. Think how amazing this place has to be. It's a five-star hotel if the baby spend that long in there. What makes this hotel so great? So what is the uterus? Well, the uterus is a muscle. And specifically, it's what's called smooth muscle. This is muscle that you see in the bowels, in the bladder, that usually constricts, but it doesn't constrict in a specific line, like skeletal muscle, which is very specific in its direction. Surprisingly, the uterus is very small. The average size is approximately 7 centimeters by 5 centimeters and weighs just 30 to 50 grams. Matter of fact, for most women, you could barely even feel the uterus if you pressed on the pubic bone because it hides behind it. However, this little pear structure will now become the home to your baby and will grow almost by 500 times in size than its original size. The way the uterus is able to expand this 500 times is through two processes. The first, called hyperplasia, is where the muscle cells actually divide and you actually make more cells in the beginning of the pregnancy. But most of the growth actually comes from hypertrophy, which is enlargement of the cells. And it's specifically induced because of the stretching that occurs and causes the cells to get bigger, so much bigger that the uterus can hold an entire baby. And then within six weeks after delivering the baby, it can go back to its small size and hide again behind the pubic bone. What is so amazing about the uterus is it is the connection between the outside world and the inside world in the woman. The fallopian tubes allow the eggs to be picked up so the sperm coming through the vaginal canal through the cervix into the uterus can get to the egg. Yet what's amazing is, even though there's this connection Women don't get infections in their pelvis just randomly because that organ protects the outside from getting back in, except for things that are okay, such as sperm. And it does this well most of the time. Now, there are some infections, such as chlamydia, gonorrhea, that can work its way through the uterus into the pelvis and cause major infections, even blocking tubes. But in general, most bacteria and most things do not get through this system. From the female side, you can't really fill your uterus because it's deep inside your pelvis, again, under the pubic bone. But a small opening from the uterus is at the top of the vagina, which can be seen with a speculum or even felt easily. So how does the uterus not allow certain things to get in, but allow other things too? How does it allow a baby to grow inside there, yet it kills bacteria before it gets inside there. 
And that works through a couple mechanisms. The first mechanism is there is a vaginal flora that is created that does not welcome certain bacteria. So that limits what can even get exposed to the cervix and the uterus. The second thing is, is that there is cervical mucus, which also prevents many things from getting past the cervix into the uterus. But the third thing is actually very interesting, and it has to do with the immune system. When you get pregnant, progesterone causes the uterus to act differently than it normally would when you're not pregnant. Specifically, researchers have discovered that the onset pregnancy causes the genes that are responsible for recruiting the immune cells to the site of implantation to be turned off. This then prevents T cells from accumulating at the placental site from attacking the pregnancy. Even more interesting is how it does it. Instead of changing the DNA, it actually undergoes what's called epigenetic modification, where it actually causes the genes to shut off, but doesn't actually change the genetic material. This then allows the uterus to go back to normal after the pregnancy is over. So now that we know the uterus is a super organ, what's really the purpose of it? Well, we started getting into this before. Clearly, one of the main parts of the uterus is to house the baby to allow it to grow and to exchange with the mom so it can get certain nutrients from the placenta, but without attacking the baby. Now, when it comes to the immune system, we've talked about how there are mechanisms in place that prevent the body from attacking the baby because what good would it be to have a baby in your uterus if your body's attacking it? Now, although the mom is supporting the baby, it is important to understand that it's not so much an active process on the mom's side, but more of an active process on the baby's side. The placenta attacks the uterus and actually invades it. And then the placenta has all of the materials needed to then extract the nutrients it needs from the mother. Even the hormone progesterone pretty much comes from the placenta. Only in the first six weeks is the mom producing the progesterone. So all of the effects of pregnancy that prevent your body from going into labor, that cause a lot of the side effects that occur with pregnancy, come from the hormones from the placenta. This is why we are able to proceed with frozen embryo transfers. Even though your body isn't making any of the hormones it usually makes with natural conception, we're able to supplement those hormones in the beginning until the placenta takes over. So how important is the uterus? Well, it's so important that we have never been able to make anything that can grow a baby outside of the womb, which shows you how important this structure is that with all the technology we have, we still have a very difficult time growing babies outside of the womb. Which is why when there are uterine issues, these are very difficult to overcome because there is no way for us to take the baby out and then keep the baby alive outside of the womb until the baby is at a point where it can survive outside of the womb. That point is usually at minimum 
24 weeks, when the baby's lungs are developed and able to support itself. However, there are lots of comorbidities that can occur when delivered at 24 weeks. So we prefer babies to get closer to a minimum 28 weeks and preferably even 34 if possible. Without question, the uterus is a superorgan. So what type of things can go wrong with the uterus? What are the anomalies that can be associated with the uterus? One issue that can present is the issue of the immune cells not being turned off. Now, this can be very severe. That can even lead to things like miscarriages. But it can also be in ways that can cause changes in the uterus that can lead to things like preeclampsia, which can lead to changes that cause high blood pressure in the mother and eventually needing to deliver the baby. The concern is this happens early and usually leads to premature labor or premature delivery of the baby. Another common issue would be anomalies. So when the uterus is formed, basically two embryologic structures fuse together. And then what happens is, is that there is a septum that is in the uterus that then gets reabsorbed. Kind of like how your fingers are made. Your fingers are made more like webs, and then the cells between the fingers disappear. Well, the same thing with the uterus. You have two portions that come together that make a whole uterus, and then the septum, the part that was between them, gets removed. Now, what can happen is, is that sometimes you don't fuse together well. So we call these fusion disorders. And these are going to be things like a didelphic uterus, a bicornuate uterus, or a unicornuate uterus. And I'll go over each of those specifically in a second. The next type of problem is that you can have an absorption issue. That's where they fuse together, but you don't have the absorption of the septum between the two tubes that connected together. And we call that most likely a bicornuate uterus or what we call a septate uterus. Now, these anomalies can even work their way down the vagina, creating a septum in the vagina. And if the uteruses are completely non-fused, can even lead to having more than one cervix. Another rare issue is you can actually be born without a uterus. And because the uterus and the top portion of the vagina all come from the same area, if you're missing a uterus, you'll also be missing the top portion of the vagina and will have a very short vagina. In the situation where you're missing the uterus and have the short vagina, that can be expanded to allow things like intercourse in the future, but you would not be able to have babies yourself and would have to use a surrogate. Now, in the situation with the septum, a septum is very unusual because sometimes it can be associated with recurrent miscarriages. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to have miscarriages. And so there is a lot of controversy that if you have a septum, do you remove it or do you leave it? And there's a lot of controversy on this. I think some people, they remove it no matter what. Other people like myself feel if there has not been a history of miscarriages, the risk of doing surgery can sometimes be worse than the benefit. And so you have to look at in a case-by-case situation. But if you do have a septum and you are having miscarriages, without question, you should remove the septum. A uterine septum 
can also be associated with preterm labor, but only when it's severe, when we call a complete septum, when it goes all the way down to the cervix. Now, when we talk about a unicornate uterus, what we're talking about is that only one of the tubes that fuse together formed to make the uterus and the other one didn't. And so you only have half of a uterus. Now, you can still get pregnant, but the problem is, is that when there are anatomical anomalies, sometimes things don't line up as well. So sometimes the fallopian tube can be a little bit deformed or not in the right place where the ovary is creating problems. But the biggest risk is preterm labor. As you can imagine, if the uterus is smaller, it's going to have less space and potentially could go into labor earlier. Now, with a unicornate uterus, you only have one cervix because only one part of the uterus formed. But in a bicornate uterus, both of the tubes started to fuse. And so the bottom portion where it comes together in the cervix fused, so you have one cervix, but the top of it has this heart shaped where there are two uteruses, but they're fused together. And so a bicornate uterus also has preterm labor, but not as severe as the unicornate uterus. It is very difficult sometimes to tell the difference between a bicornate uterus and a septate uterus, especially if you're doing a hysterosalpingogram. Because from a hysterosalpingogram's perspective, you'll see two cavities, and it could then be a bicornate uterus or a septated uterus. If you're doing a hysteroscopy, you would also see two cavities, and you wouldn't see that outside the uterus. So you wouldn't know if it's a bicornate uterus or a septate uterus. However, a sonohistogram or an MRI would allow you to see the outside of the uterus as well as the inside of the uterus at the same time where you can then determine is the uterus heart shaped physically or is it just a septum going down it creating a heart shape inside it. Now when it comes to a didelphic uterus, we're talking about two problems, fusion and absorption because they never fuse together, so nothing was absorbed. So you have actually two uteruses. Those two uteruses also have a cervix. So you have two cervixes. And then sometimes you might even have a sept in the vagina creating two vaginas. This is also associated with preterm labor. And due to anatomical changes, can sometimes make it difficult to get pregnant. Because like before, when we talked about the unicornate uterus, the fallopian tube can be in an unusual position compared to the ovary, and so it makes it hard to pick up an egg. Next, I want to talk about a tilted uterus. Now, a tilted uterus is not an anomaly. It is a normal variant. So, it's common to have it. Now, when you hear the word tilted uterus, it doesn't always mean that it's abnormal. You can tilt forward, you can tilt backwards. So, a tilted uterus forward is actually very normal. That's actually how most uteruses are. But when the uterus tilts backwards, that would be considered abnormal from, its, from the standpoint of the least common variant. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I joke around that I have a bigger nose than most. Now, it doesn't mean my nose is abnormal. It just happens to be bigger than most. Well, with uteruses, it's not abnormal to be retroverted which is a type of tilted uterus, but it's less common than a uterus that's tilted forwards. So let's talk about the different way the uteruses can be. 
You can either be tilted, which is going to be tilting forward or backwards, or you can be just kind of straight. Now, most uteruses tilt forward, and that would be called anterior verted or antraflexed. Now, that's normal. We just call that normal uterus. And when the uterus tips backwards, we call it either retroverted or retroflexed. Now, retroverted means the uterus is tilting backwards on its axis, meaning it's not bending, it's just the whole uterus tips backwards. Retroflex is where the actual bending of the uterus is going backwards. So you can have both a retroverted retroflexed uterus. You can have just a retroflex uterus where the cervix is in normal position, but the uterus bends backwards. You can have a uterus that is in a normal position where it tilts forward. So just to make sure you understand those different things. Now, the thing about a tilted uterus is most of the time when you're told you have one, it's usually because the doctor just doesn't feel it on examination and goes, oh, well, you must have a retroverted uterus. But what's the importance of this? Why do people ask if they have this? Why do they get worried when they have it? Well, because people get worried that it causes infertility. Now, what I can tell you is a tilted uterus does not lead to infertility. However, it can be associated with infertility. Now, how so? Well, because the question is, why is it tilted? What could have caused it to become tilted? Now, as I said, it could be normal. It could be just genetics. It could be just the uterus is a little bit larger, so it falls backwards. It could be due to weak pelvic muscles that are just not able to hold the uterus up. But one of the concerns is it could be due to scarring. And so people who have endometriosis usually have a retroverted uterus because the scarring pulls the uterus backwards and scars it to the back of the sacrum, which is the back of the pelvis. Same thing if you have an infection could somehow cause the uterus to scar back to the pelvic wall. And so whenever we see a retroverted uterus in the back of our mind, we think about that. So if I just see a retroverted uterus and no one has any other symptoms, I don't worry about it. But if they have a retroverted uterus and I suspect they have endometriosis, then I would be more concerned. Another time I get worried is if the partner has low volume in their sperm. When there is low volume, there's not as much sperm to then cover the cervix. Well, if your uterus is retroverted, meaning it's tilted on its axis, the cervix is now shooting up versus shooting down like it normally is. And so if the volume is low, it may not be bathing that cervix as much. And I've found that women who have retroverted uteruses with men who have very low volume of the sperm, only one milliliter, tend to have problems getting pregnant. Now, what about things like IUIs or IVF? Well, IUIs really are not affected by a tilted uterus. Now, it may make the IUI harder because now you're trying to transverse this uh, uterus with this catheter and you can't really see anything and you could be hitting the walls. But with an IUI, you're just putting sperm in there and you're expecting the egg and sperm to get together, but you're really not technically pregnant for another 24 hours. So it doesn't really impact it that much. But in IVF, it does. Matter of fact, in IVF, 
a retroverted uterus makes the transfer harder because you can't just take a catheter and put it in there. You have to bend it exactly to the shape of the uterus. You have to then circumvent around the curve because if you're just taking that catheter and pushing it in, there is a chance you could be causing trauma to the endometrium versus having it smoothly go in between the layers. And so, uh, although there's no super evidence that that causes you to not get pregnant, in IVF, it definitely makes the transfer harder, and anything that makes the transfer harder will always affect the rates. Another area I want to talk about is the uterine cervix. The cervix is the opening into the uterus, and sometimes the cervix can be very difficult to get the catheter to go into because of things called stenosis or due to a circuitous cervix. So one of the questions I get asked a lot is, am I able to get pregnant or is a sperm not able to get into my cervix because you have such a hard time putting the catheter in? I think an important part to understand is sperm is like liquid. So if you can have a period and bleed out your cervix, then sperm can definitely get into the uterus. Now, a difficult cervix to transverse with a catheter does make IUIs and IVF more difficult But as I talked about earlier, it doesn't prevent you from getting pregnant. The last thing I want to discuss is the amazing thing about the uterus is unlike the ovaries, which have a limited lifespan, the uterus actually works past menopause. Now, this is a little bit technical because in reality, you don't ovulate anymore in menopause. So you really can't make an egg to get pregnant. But with fertility... We can, you know, use eggs that maybe were frozen in the past, or you can use donor eggs or donor embryos, and we can place in the uterus even after menopause because the baby does most of the work. And as long as your uterus is attached to blood supply, then it should work. Now we have to support the pregnancy in the beginning, but overall the placenta then will take over. Now there have actually been in the news stories about transplanting a uterus. Again, quite amazing. So now people who don't even have a uterus or lost their uterus got a transplanted uterus and carry the baby. So in the end, the uterus is an amazing organ that lasts from the point of reproduction age till basically the day you die, you can still use the uterus. It works as this organ that prevents bacteria from getting into your pelvis And it's your five-star hotel for your baby that's developing in there. As always, thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to everyone who subscribes and reviews us. I hope everyone is excited that a lot of the reproductive centers are starting to rev back up. Our clinic too has started to see patients again for IVF and treatment. And I'm hoping that we can keep continuing this way. I think it's important for everyone to remember that although we think it might be safe to keep going through, it does not mean there aren't risks. We also do not still know what effects COVID-19 has on the pregnancy. Now, does this mean you shouldn't go through? No, it just means that you need to make sure you know all the risks and that no one can really give you a definitive answer right now because we don't have all the information. However, I'm just very happy that now Women, men can now go through 
fertility treatment and no longer have to be in limbo. As always, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again next week on Taco About Fertility Tuesday.